the BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download and listen to for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Ken Crowther and this week my special guest is Mick Lavelle from Rittle University College near Chelmsford. Coming up we'll be answering your questions on everything from magnolias and orchids to yuccas. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther every Saturday from 11. Mick, welcome to the programme and uh, you know looking ahead the weather forecast saying it's going to get warmer and warmer. Well, we've, you know, 19 degrees, they're saying, on Thursday. It's, well, a, it's a bit of a thought, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, obviously, this time of the year, we're looking forward to the spring. It's, it's, spring's only just spring, really, and so we've got these warm interludes. We're still getting some cold nights, though. We're still the chance, a good chance of frost at the moment. And it's not always good, is it, for plants when we've got highs, lows, highs, lows in a sort of it, series, It will is depend it? upon the plant itself some are very resistant to it but for a lot of plants that come into growth as soon as it gets warm uh, a cold night or just a, even just a few cold days icy cold wind can really give them a cold check which can actually last quite a way into the, uh, the new growing season and that actually can yeah as you say and it will stop it being flowering or fruiting as early wouldn't it yeah sometimes it can affect the overall growth for the whole year worthwhile putting a bit of fleece over uh, anything yeah. which are t- slightly tender things good one so Adam, what's your first tip in this lovely warm climate that we're in at well the of course once you get out into the garden this time <laughs> of the year and you sort of see that lawn growing very tempting to go out and mow the lawn and of course great thing to do is it's the only job you can do on the lawn which actually looks better afterwards is when you mow it that's true now, so it's a great thing to do this time of the year, but don't go out and start mowing it too hard. I mean, all you want to do is put that mower on the highest cut you can and go over and just cut it so you get rid of all the tufts and all the uneven growth and just really start to tidy up a little bit. So what's the reason for not cutting it lower? Because people always think, oh, I'll get it all off and then I won't have to cut it for three weeks. Well, I mean, that's, a, that's a, a problem in two ways. Firstly, you're taking away a lot of the energy for the plant. You should never take away more than a third of the entire leaf growth at any time of the year on any cut. But secondly, the idea that keeping it short will actually mean you've got less to do. Grass grows more vigorously when it's short. It sort of regrows more quickly. It's adapted to be grazed. So when you cut it short, it actually starts to grow more vigorously and you'll end up taking more off through the year so it's it's a bit of sort of a um, bit like topiary be careful you don't cut too deep into your hedge I and don't so, cut yes. too deep into your grass definitely and of course this time of the year it's been a bit dry i it mean the, the lawn will be more drought resistant if you leave the leaf uh, growth on the top higher so keep on a higher cut into the spring the roots will actually penetrate down deeper and will be more root resistant uh, more drought resistant and we never know what's going to happen later in the year we could have a drought year we could have a wet year we never know in Indeed, England do yeah, we yeah. so keep it on that high cut you're only taking a small amount off it'll actually self mulch a lawn as well make it a bit more drought resistant and talking of lawns I like to lay turf this time of year and okay you've said it's dry but that means that the soil is in lovely condition to get level. We Absolutely. can rake it out and get yeah. it lovely and level. It is. It's a dream to... I mean, if you're good on a rake, you, you love this time of the year. It's it, good, It makes it? you look good when you <laughs> rake level. <yeah. laughs> now, laying turf, there's lots of rules, but really the best one is that you put an edge of turf all the way around. Don't run your lines of turf up to the edge because they'll no. lift and curl. Yes, So put, put your... Put your line around the edge, and it actually shapes your lawn. It, it, it could be square, it yeah. 
track will be curved and you can do it easily with turf. Yeah, and it, no matter what the shape it is, true. But it's certainly with old Bowling Green um, folk that I know, they always used to swear to have a double layer of turf on the edge. And that oh, sounds right. odd, but they used to put um, one of the green sides down and then put another layer on top of it to give a really strong fibrous edge to stop it eroding. Because the edge of the lawn, as you say, Very is the most important. vulnerable. Yeah. And don't forget that really you lay them like bricks, don't you? So the joints don't don't actually yeah, join up. Yeah, always do a staggered jointing. <clears> and, and it's a good idea after about a week to go over and top dress it, just lightly top dress it mm. and brush that in. And my favourite is actually using a scaffold board and then you just roll it over the top of it, jump up and down on it a few times, flattens the lawn yeah i mean in fact for the first few weeks after your lawn's laid if you're going to go on it to do your top dress oh, yes. always work off planks until it's really rooted in properly i should probably say other planks are available as well of as course, your scaffolds. of course <laughs> and it's a good time to seed again we've talked about being able to level out you can get your seed beds looking really good and that means as well that you can sow grass seed great time for that as well but it we is, might yeah. have to water turf just if we don't get any rain i think so yeah and remember to try and use some sort of a light sprinkler on there either a, an oscillator or a, or a jet sprinkler which will just shower gently um the only thing with seed of course watch out for uh, make sure you've really cleared the ground well uh, at this time of the year if it's been another use you might want to just uh, rake it level let those weed seeds germinate mm. and go over it again first so you're not just otherwise you can get chick feet, uh, chickweed all over the place make it a problem what else you got for us then uh, uh, well of course uh, this time of the, the year is uh, also the time that it's not just gardeners that wake up and think let's get out into the garden an awful lot of pests do uh, my, my favorite oh, one yeah. of the example of course is aphids because you get one aphid emerges from an egg this time of the year um, aphids clone themselves they're all female they all clone themselves so inside that aphid very quickly goes another one she gives a live birth to that inside that uh, offspring there is another aphid so one becomes two becomes four becomes eight becomes 64 <laughs> isn't there a, isn't there some something some uh, s- scale of working it out and somebody said that if from one at the beginning of the season you can fill a skip with aphid it's near enough that. isn't it's it a, it's, it's more than it's that, a, if, if if they all live which of course yeah. they won't you'll end up with uh, something close to uh, so we've seen the thousands possibly a million metric tons of aphids unbelievable because isn't the, it? but the mathematics bear that out the actual practice does lots of things eat aphids and so we try and encourage uh, practices i mean you can go around and squash them if you see them early on uh, but of course Trying to encourage um, natural predators is a good thing. Um, you can spray with all sorts of things. I, I generally tend to use something which is non-insecticidal because that will favour all the, uh, the predators such as lacewings. Uh, but you do need to get on top of them. And if you are spraying yeah. with insecticides, it's a real reminder here because a lot of people use insecticides. Spray each end of the day when there's no flying insects around. Yeah, especially bees are very vulnerable. So if, you, if you're worried about um, aphids around blossom, yeah. of course you'll, you'll hurt the bees if you spray. And talking of spraying, I'd advise people, you know, I've been looking at roses recently. A lot of lovely new growth on roses. It's a great time to spray for black spot if you had black spot and rust last year. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, perfect, really, because you want to try and avoid it occurring again. You can't spray to get rid of black spot because black spot is the damage on the thing. That's the right. So it's the new growth we have to get to and all those lovely red, lovely new shoots and buds. I've been looking at roses. I've been spraying roses this week and they've got buds on them already. It's incredible. They, they will. As soon as they get what they want, they'll go. Uh, is it just because the plant are very accommodating in some ways we just have to make sure we look after them when we're doing that so if you have black spot get out there and spray this week yeah i mean the last thing really we're talking about shrubs in the garden um, some people may have been think you know sort of uh, thumbing away through the gardening books and think oh hardwood cuttings i wish i'd taken some it's a bit late now because the plants are coming into growth which of course it is but it's actually the perfect time of the year if you haven't 
uh, taking harbour cuttings to make some layers. And all you need is a nice pliable piece of uh, branch which you can bend down to the ground. You make a, a nick just uh, facing backwards down the branch uh, with a... Well, just uh, underneath. Just underneath a node, so just mm-hmm. underneath where the, the leaf yep. buds are. Just nick into that, or you can just... Sometimes, uh, there's various opinions of this, sometimes people scrape a little bit of the bark off. It's just to expose what we call the cambium, which is the tissue which will root. You then peg that down into the ground. You can dust it with a little bit of um, rooting hormone. It doesn't really need it, does it? doesn't it? on all things. It, it never hurts if you're not sure how easily it roots. If you're doing a willow, for instance, it doesn't need it. No, mm. Currants don't really need it. But uh, many things, you can just give it a little bit of a helping hand, peg that down, don't go back and check it through the year, wait till next winter, and next spring, just at the point it starts to grow and come into growth, you can actually lift it. And we, we took some layers at the university from some uh, Ribes um, speciosa, which are going to look fabulous in our new planting area this year. So it's easy. It is easy, yeah. So, so don't, don't be um, disheartened if you haven't taken your hardwood cuttings yet. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther, every Saturday from 11. Let's have a look at some of those gardening events taking place across Essex over the next few weeks. And we're going to be starting in, well, just down the road, Riddle College, 29th of March. Yes, that's this Wednesday, I think. Uh, They're holding an evening lecture event to discuss community involvement in horticulture. Former Gardeners World presenter Peter Seabrook. Yes, and he used to be here on BBC Essex as well with me, Ken Crowther, and with Alison Finley as well, the RHS's Community Outreach Advisor. They're going to be speaking about their experiences. It takes place in Northumberland Lecture Theatre at Riddle University College. Admission is just £10. On Friday at 7.30, the Lee Floral Group have a demonstration by Rekha Naidu from Stanmore on floor abundance. The meeting takes place at St Saviour's Church Hall, Kings Road, Westcliff. Newcomers are very welcome. Mission is just £5. Saturday the 1st of April, 2.30 till 4.30, the Bardfield Horticulture Society holding their spring show, and that's in the Town Hall. Great Bardfield. Classes include floral art, flowers handicraft, all the usual, and there's refreshments, and entry is just 50p. Sunday the 2nd of April, 1 till 4, the Great Wakering Garden and Allotment Society holding their 20th spring show. That's at the Community Centre. 67 classes for spring flowers, vegetables, home crafts. Refreshments again available, a pound for adults, children free. Thursday the 6th of April, the Tittree Gardens Club. Guest speaker is Monica Curry, talking about weeds as medicine. Monica has a lifelong interest in herbal medicine and originates from her Central European roots. Entry £2 for members, 3 for visitors. There's a raffle, refreshments and a plant stall. Saturday the 8th of April, doors opening at 2 o'clock. Little Waltham Gardening Club has their spring show at the Memorial Hall. Exhibits, of course, are all there. Plants, stall, refreshments and entry absolutely free. Bit of advance warning, Saturday the 16th of April, 10am to midday. Matching charity, Farmer's Market, the Village Hall, has fresh produce. Local farmers, producers, including meats, cakes and eggs. Takes place on the third Saturday of every month. Again, advance warning, but 19th, 20th and 21st of May. Don't forget the National Flower Show up at Highlands House. Um, Just one more, I think I'll fit in here as well. It's back to April, 25th of April. Doors open at 2 o'clock. The Dunmo Horticulture Society has their spring show with exhibits including flowers and floral art. Um, Of course, that's at Folks Hall, Great Dunmo. So they are... If you want your gardening event 
spread across the county of Essex and beyond in the BBC Essex Gardening Hour. Send all your details to me, Ken Crowther, with at least three weeks' notice, either by email, and that is ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk, or drop me a line. I love getting your letters. Drop me a line to Ken Crowther, BBC Essex, P.O. Box 765, Chelmsford, CM2 9XB. And I look forward to getting them. Coming up next, myself and Mick will be answering your gardening questions. And we'll start with Angela from Whittam and her plum tree. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Every Saturday from 11. We've recently just cut down a green gauge that was very big and a Victoria plum. The plum never did anything much. But we've got it right down to just over two foot. And uh, we're in our 70s. And I'm just wondering what's the best way now to proceed with these stumps. When you say to proceed with them, do you mean in terms to remove. of getting rid of them? Yes, or... yes please. <laughs> Right. Um, the stumps themselves, obviously, if you can get them cut down to within it's a, a few centimetres, a couple of inches of the, uh, the ground, you can actually get either a contract, probably a contractor would be the best. So you can get them to bring in a stump grinder. And the stump grinder Ooh. sounds very complex. Actually, a gr- series of teeth at the front, which you just drop down onto it, and it grinds the stump down into the <coughs> ground. Okay, so it's, it's, oh. you, they do it, it, if you're two stumps like that, you'll pay for it. Obviously, they'll charge you to come. They'll be in for about five minutes, and you think, well, that was quick because these things work really, really effectively. But compared oh. to trying to dig it out, it, it's an it's absolute and, nightmare. And their cost, although we said it's quite expensive, the machine is quite expensive. Oh, yeah, yeah you, you know, I mean, so you, you can yeah, hire these yeah. from some higher places, yeah. but they're quite a beast to, uh, to handle if you're not used to them. So, I mean, uh, I wouldn't advise. I'd advise to you know, just a local um, arboricultural uh, practice or some, a, a local tree surgeon try and get a reputable one I mean don't don't think oh, I was a bloke around the corner does it try and get one who knows what they're doing uh, they'll, they'll charge you fairly they'll charge you for the time they're in though which won't be very long but it's a bit mm. like any contractor they, they have to charge for the visits I think but it's, uh, it's well worth it because they'll get rid of it whenever I've had stump grinders in to get rid of stumps I always stand there absolutely in awe of how easily they get it rid is. of these things it's incredible it's fantastic it? yeah it's a, it's a beast no of... other way of doing it, is there? Well, the only other way is that you come out from the tree about a couple of feet, dig down, and then chop through all of the mm. roots. Right. Yeah, it's hard work. You can ask any of my students well, I mean, have been doing it all winter. They've gone into next door's garden and... Because it's right up against a fence as well. Well, yeah. this is the problem, yes. I mean, sometimes mm. stump grinders are the best option. I mean, you, there are other options. You can uh, you can dig it up. Dig that, yeah. But you've got to go right round the tree, haven't you? That's yes, the thing. Indeed, you've, got yeah. to, you've got to start close close yeah. to the fence and then just cut your way round. If you've got, you know, roots of, say, a couple of inches and they're going off into the ground, you can leave those. It's the it's the stump that you want yeah. out, the, yeah. the, the core the, what of it. What we call the root plate. The yeah. root that's what you want to get out because the, that if they start to rot, you can get disease set up by leaving stumps in the ground. And anybody listening, in all honesty, people who just go through and cut the land eye down to the ground and then leave the stumps in are just asking for trouble, aren't they, mm-hmm. with, with diseases. Mm-hmm. So oh, well. we and haven't got I... a, no easy answer for you, I'm afraid, no. have we? No, and I wanted another Victoria plum, so would it be best... Not to cite it there, put it somewhere else. Or... Well, m- m- I mean, not knowing mm. exactly why the other one didn't fruit, um, it's a little bit difficult to comment on that. But the simple fact of the matter is, if one didn't work, it's it's a good indication. If you put another one in its place, it won't work either. 
Um, what, for a Victoria plum, it, it, the ideal thing is to have a nice southerly aspect for it, so the fruit ripens. Uh, get it on a dwarf in rootstock if you're going to buy one. Don't just buy one on its own roots or it will grow into a huge great tree, which you'll never be able to tell you. The wasps will mm. get the plums, but you won't. You'd be up a ladder oh, fighting them off all the time. So go dwarf in rootstock. Buy um, maybe a Victoria. There are other varieties as well that you can buy. But get it in a nice southerly aspect and try and prune it so it's a little bit flattened. Not not, not as a fan or anything like that, but a little bit flattened um, against the south-facing fence or something like that. And you'll find you get much better... Um, fruit set because it'll be warmer for the um, the, the uh, pollination which is quite early on plums and also the fruit will ripen quite evenly and prune in the summer always that yeah. does help okay thank you very much okay uh, that's Angela from Whitham and Sid from Malden has said it was something I was talking about with um, with Ray earlier about potatoes it's still too early it goes like this doesn't it, it goes mm. mild and everybody rushes out and works on their veg plots but in fact it's a bit early, isn't it, still? And he's saying his mate has already put his potatoes in on his allotment. Sid reckons it's too early, as you've mentioned. There's still a risk of frost. What should he do? Um, you know, you can, in a couple you of can, weeks' time, yeah, you you'll can, be there, won't you? You can put cloches and tunnels and things like that over And them. fleece over the uh, leaves. Yeah, and that will stop the frost getting to them. But you see, the problem is what you don't want is to make it even warmer so they grow even more vigorously because then you'll get even more susceptible growth. What you want to do is just keep them, just keep the frost off them. So if you're going to put things like cloches out there, you're literally going out there during the, uh, the evening, putting the cloches out, and then going back out the next morning and taking them off so they get the right sort of um, weather conditions on, didn't get too hot. Mm. So I would leave it myself. I'd leave it. Now, of course, then people will ring up and say, well, you know, I've left them on my egg boxes and they're chitting and they've got, you know, roots coming out them that are three or four inches long. I just... uh, just rub them off, yeah. But as, if they start to chit too early, rub, rub off some... I mean, when you put them in, you should really rub off all but the, the, the three strongest right. eyes anyway and try and get those evenly spaced around the outside of it. So, I mean, it, it, it's something you can do. There's, there's plenty of eyes on a potato, apart from once you see that go, yeah, yeah. Loads. So don't yeah. be too eager. Yeah. And uh, it's like, what, you know, I was saying on Ray's programme, you... you People are too eager. You get a bit of sun and they want to yeah. plant. They'll be out there looking for bedding plants. If it goes up to 19 degrees, people will be wanting to plant there'll their be marigolds some, There'll out be a there. garden centre somewhere in Essex selling bedding, bedding plants. <laughs> yeah, it's not good enough. Now, we've also had a letter in. I'd like to deal with this letter, but to remind you, it's 0300 200 4041. If you'd like to send us a text, Mick Lavelle, Ken Crowther here in the studio answering your gardening problems, 8133, start your message with the word Essex, and call us on 0300 200 4041. Got a letter here from Audrey from Rayleigh, and she sent us a lovely leaf, hasn't she? Mm. It's in the shape of an oak leaf, a turkey oak leaf. It looked like a turkey, or even a red oak, I think. Yes, that sort of, uh, it is shape, that shape. Yeah. yeah. One of the like more American type oak mm. trees, but it's not because it's grey. She's got it resting on her sofa, a nice leather sofa, cream yeah. sofa in a pot, and it is quite a large plant. Yeah. And she says that she bought from a well-known catalogue some seeds. She's put them equally into pots, but this one is a bit of a giant in comparison to what else she's growing. So yeah. what have we got then? Well, she was concerned it was a giant hogweed, which it isn't. It's not. It's not a giant hogweed, I can reassure her that. Um, having said that, it is from another poisonous genera of plants, the, sol- the Solanaceae, which are the same family as potatoes, ironically, and tomatoes. But the, um, the, the, the one we've got there, I think, is Solanum linearis. I think it's Solanum linearis, but it's certainly a Solanum, or Solanum, if you prefer. And um, that's, uh, I think, an Australian one, which is sometimes grown as a, a fairly large ornamental plant in uh, glasshouses and things that are sometimes outside in 
tropical displays and things like that. It used to come up as an occasional weed in our, underneath our glasshouse benches and in one of the glasshouses <laughs> we had. A, that's why I recognise it, because first off I looked at it, I thought, this looks familiar. You've seen yeah. it before. 300,000 species of plants and it just so happens I'd seen the, it. The one was <laughs> under the bench, anyway. And let's now go to the phones, to Judy. Hello, Judy from St Lawrence. Is Hello. It, is it, I think it's lovely down there at the moment, isn't it? Yes, it's beautiful, lovely day, and I'll be out very shortly. Uh, I, I should say, listen very carefully, I will say this only once. It's, it's not so much a question as a thing I phone up every year to remind people. Yes. Um, if you very, when they're gardening at the moment, be very careful and to remember that birds are now starting to nest and that they could even have eggs by now. So very careful, especially if they're doing any pruning or anything around hedges. And to realise that uh, especially in the early part of the year when there's not much cover about birds such as blackbirds will often nest in very odd places mm. like um, mm. especially bonfire heaps mm. my, my nephew a few years ago well, well he should check bonfire heaps to check for hedgehogs you anyway should. <laughs> while checking for a hedgehog he actually inadvertently disturbed a blackbird's nest <laughs> and luck, luckily we had to reconstruct the entire bonfire heap put the nest on the young back and luckily the parents came back and fed them despite mm. all that disturbance. It's, it's interesting how, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice to have someone like yourself ring up and remind mm. us about these things um, because it, it, it is something that's quite important to our wildlife. But it's funny how we have a rule for farmers where yeah. they actually are stopped in March from cutting hedges, Absolutely, which is yeah. why you see, mm. you know, late February, they're all going mad, aren't they, flailing their yeah. hedges, trying to get it all done before the cut-off day, which we actually mentioned a, a few weeks ago, funny enough, that farmers were actually cut off at that time. Mm. Um, but we, of course, as gardeners, don't actually... Well, there shouldn't be a law. We should be respectful, shouldn't we? Mm. Don't and, you think? And very careful. Well, so, I mean, of... People are often advised to prune, um, oh, especially coniferous hedges and evergreen hedges in the summer. But of course, these are. Uh, well, all I can say is, you just if you're going to do that, just check all the time, watch what the, if the birds are going in and out. Mm. And, hey, and if you actually use shears, you have much better chance of spotting a nest. Mm. That's right. Than you hack away with a check with a hedge trimmer. Mm. Yeah, and of course no. it is. Apart from not wanting to harm any birds, it is of course against the law if you actually uh, to birds nesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah. Well, it's an interesting thing to say about the unusual places. Thrushes generally tend to have this uh, tendency, and certainly robins are well known yeah. for this. I remember when I first was an apprentice gardener up in the Lake District. The, uh, the propagator, the part-time propagator, used to come. The, the uh, old head gardener. And he left his hat there on a Friday night and there was a window open in the potting <laughs> shed. And on a Monday morning, there was a robin's nest in it. Incredible. And so he had, he had to leave his hat there for all throughout the whole spring, you know, because, of course, he, as gardeners, we tend to just like to see that anyway. Home is no, where I hang my hat, isn't it? For that robin, it really was where there was Sid Harrison yes. put his hat, yes. <laughs> and the, and the, black, the black and white pied wagtails are absolutely notorious for getting into machinery as well. And very yes, odd yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, Judy, thank you very much for your call. Could I, have one, could I have one question now? Of course on you air. can. That's what we're here for, isn't it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, I've just bought a green gauge tree. Yep. Um, can't remember which one. It's on a dwarf stock. Good. <laughs> I just make sure of that. Um, uh, when should I? There's quite a lot of leaders on it. Should I prune them this year or leave it till next year? I prune them in the summer. See what see yeah. what comes and prune I mean, them in the summer. The, the thing with if you this year, it's not even in the ground yet. 
Yeah, yeah but just plant it out, and I'll just count it. The reason why we do it in the summer is because it avoids some of the transmissible diseases, which uh, Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, so I realised that, but I didn't yeah. know where I, I, I should prune. No, well, third, third you the, could look, take off the Look lead, at the shape you? of it, because what, yeah, what you want really is you look at it, you've got to make sure you've got a nice open habit, because you want the sun to filter yeah. into there to ripen the fruit. This is the, the trick of it. And yeah. the, so at the moment, what you're doing is you're forming what's called a nice scaffold, which is, so they've all got to be pointing out evenly and away from each other and developing the shape of it. And that's more important now than the number of them. It's actually making sure it's a nice, even shape. Now, what I really needed to know was, do I prune it this summer? Yes, first you can do, yes, yes. yes. I would, yeah. I would. Yeah, it, you, pruning, is, pruning is important because the grower is actually pruning from the day it grows, you know, from the year it grows. He's now working on it. it. I can see that. I see it Yes, been. you it's, can. It's got a... It's got about four nice bars That's right. coming out of it. All right. <laughs> It'd be easier to prune it before I planted it, but it's probably a bit early. No, too early. Get it yeah. in the ground, let it grow, and then if you can I see thought, what grows I thought, well. I thought I was going to have to prune it to get it in the car. <laughs> OK, Judy, thank you very much indeed for that. That's a good reminder, and there are some advice on your uh, green gauge tree as well. Give us a call now, 0300 200 4041. John from Brentwood, you've got a question about cherry tree. Is that right, John? Morning, Ken. No, I've got, yes, I have, but there's also some updates. Oh, let's have some updates. Sure. We like updates. <laughs> you remember we were talking about codling moth? Yes. The other a fortnight ago, and you, yes, and it was suggested by your your second in command there, <laughs> put a couple of extra ones in. Yes, that's overkill. The the aggregate rep says you'll do more harm than good putting uh, four traps in the tree. Apparently, the pheromone is. If you do that, the smell of the pheromone is too strong, and it will scare them off rather than bring them to it. Well, if it scares them off, you're on a winner. Well, you know what I mean. He said it won't. He won't work like that. What do you think, Mick? I actually um, don't. Uh, well, I don't know. Depends if old Agriland rep still uh, old colleague of mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's uh, in it, theory, it, it shouldn't, it, mate. And normally, you would say you do one to about three trees. I think, isn't it? Something yeah, but like you that, can yeah. put a count. But I mean, it, this guy. I think you were putting one in a tree, weren't you? No, two. Two in a tree, and I just said, well, put another one in. Hmm. Yeah, well, apparently that's overkill. Hmm. But if, if you've got a problem is not working, try it. That was my attitude, you see. Chop the tree down. No, <laughs> no, don't chop the tree down. No, no, no. And don't right, forget, other, and don't forget other, you can also spray with... Um, there's, there's the fruit and veg spray that you can spray straight after petal fall, which will also help. Right. Now, the other thing was the cherry tree with the black fly on. Yep. Uh, we were talking about Provado, um, spraying it a bit early. Did you know you can only do three sprays of, according to the instructions? That That's is. right, according to the instructions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, I have had a thought on this. Yep. Um, is there anything else I could use? In, now, at the moment, it's just started coming into leaf. And I was going to have a go at it the minute... It's sort of ready to start taking any any you, lodges. So you're saying that in between using a bravado, is there something else you could use? Yeah, yeah, there is. Because contact, you could use. You? you could well, actually, you wouldn't need to. Or fatty, something like a fatty acid. Fatty which acid. Is, you call it safe as soap, but it's actually fatty acids. And uh, you can use that as many times as you want because it's not toxic to uh, to people at all. It doesn't affect the um, uh, the quality of the fruit, etc. What's that actually called? It's, it's fatty it's, acid. There's various brands. But if you go in and say you want insecticidal soap. 
because it's yeah. normally because although it's not a soap, you wouldn't some, wash your hands with it. Some of them are sold as sort of safer sprays. They're yeah. basically non-chemical. They're organic. Yeah, but they will uh, really reduce the numbers of um, things like adult aphids, etc. They won't kill them off entirely, but very often they're far less toxic to uh, to predators of the aphids. The problem is if you're using it in conjunction with a pesticide, you get pesticide buildup in the uh, the pests, and then the predators come in and they accrue that, and it kills off the predators more effectively, and it kills off the aphids. So. Right. So, yeah, so, One um, other thing, I believe some of these aphids are carried out by ants. So would that do any no, good? No, 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 no. It's, no. They're farmed by ants, and oh. so they, they, what the ants, the ants do is go they, up the tree to yeah. the to the aphid. They're after yeah. the honeydew because the aphid, when it um, sucks into the vascular tissue of the plant, it's actually after protein. So there's not that much in the way of protein in the the liquid. So an awful lot of sugar in there, which the aphid doesn't need, it doesn't metabolise it particularly well. So it uh, basically just uh, excretes it at the back, and there's a little uh, tiny uh, st- styler which it flicks this away, and that's why you get honeydew underneath sycamore trees on your car and things like that. Now, the ants, of course, do eat sugar. That's one of their principal oh, right. food sources. So they go up there, and they not only take it from them, but if the aphids, the early, early in the year, when the aphids are a little bit in short supply, they will try and fight off any predators. Ladybirds are pretty much immune to ants, so that's why ladybirds are so important early in the year. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I was thinking of greasing the trunk slightly. You can do that. I mean, it, 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 it might stop them. But, I mean, the ants themselves aren't really the problem. Ants do a, a fair amount of good in terms of the garden generally. Uh, but occasionally they're problematic, but anything can be problematic in a garden, you know. Uh, but realistically, um, y- your ants aren't a problem. It's the, the ants won't climb the tree in search of something that isn't there. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour, every Saturday from 11. BBC Essex. We're talking magnolias with Irene from Canvey Island. The oh, island, good morning, what is it? Island in the sun, isn't it? Canvey Island. You're having a laugh, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> what's, your, what's your magnolia doing anyway? Well, I've, I've just had it bought me for my birthday. I picked it up yesterday, and I don't know what to do with it. It's, it's, it's red. It's the most beautiful. I've never seen a red one. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, it's in a pot at the moment, presumably. Is it? Yeah. And um, I'm not sure what to do with it because is it okay to leave it in a really big pot? You can, yeah, you can do with with magnolias. They tend to be quite shallow rooting, so if you're going to put it in a pot, you need to put it in a pot which is almost like wider than it is deeper. Um, and it'll be all right in that for a couple of years. It likes a slightly acidic compost, but it's not. It doesn't really need ericaceous compost. Uh, you, you can just sort of um, mix a little bit leaf mould in with it, or something like that. Some extra organic matter into a, 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 a John and his compost would be the ideal uh, thing to use. But it will always be happiest long term in the ground. Oh. Okay, so if you can plant it out somewhere in the garden, you can put it into pot for a couple of years, but then you just get a bigger plant to plant, it gets more difficult, and it will get yeah. away more slowly. So if you can get it into the ground, and the trick with a magnolia is to plant it so it's not planted too deeply, so right at the surface, and then mulch over it with some really good quality organic matter. So something like, if you've got it, leaf mould, or you can buy a bag oh. of... Um, uh, oh. but, Bark isn't really um, the ideal thing for a magnolia in the first place. You want to get something more like a sort of friable compost, which will uh, they, they root quite uh, near the surface. And so some, if you buy a bag of, um, of soil enricher, some, it could be from a local authority or, or, yeah. or from a garden centre, but something which is really nice and dark and crumbly and spread that over the surface. Once you've done that for a couple of years, you can start to put things like bark on there and that will also oh, start to break down. But it's a case of getting a lot 
lot of organic matter up near the surface. Keep it well watered for a couple of years, you know, not, not absolutely drenching. Make sure it's well watered and it'll root out into to that mass and you'll actually get better growth and better flowering off it as a consequence. And do I, is there a special place I've got to put it in the garden? Because uh, I've got a small the, garden. Well, I mean, it's very difficult for me to say because I can't see your garden and say that'd be oh. perfect. It doesn't like it's to Can't you see your garden? No, come on, can't you see across the I'm closing my eyes and trying to envisage this garden on Canvey, but I mean, basically, what you want is you, you want somewhere which is not too windy or something like that, so a sheltered spot. Oh, okay. um, and and um, not um, too shady, so dappled shade ideally. So if it gets sun in the morning or sun in the afternoon, sun in the afternoon is even better actually. Uh, that's an ideal sort of uh, place to have it. Uh, Sarah from Buckers yes. Hill, what have you got for us today? Um, I'd like you to identify a plant. Now I don't have access to the internet, don't use a camera, but <clears> I'll be brief and I'll describe it thoroughly. I've never seen it before in my whole life until a few years ago when it appeared in my front garden and reseeds itself all in between the paving stones. Now, it has a very delicate growing habit. Um, the stems, flowers, and leaves are all very delicate, six to eight inches high. Each plant, perennial, bushy, so it provides a nice little bushy plant. Um, the flowers, which are already coming out, are like a miniature cowslip almost very similar to a miniature cowslip, same colour, everything. But they're all on delicate stems. The leaves are, well, they come, um, now there's a side stem off the main stem with three lots of leaves on that stem. So you have opposite each other, you have a side stem with each three leaves on that. And then at the top, there's three more leaves. So they're like a group of leaves, three, three, and three. And what colour are these flowers again? They're yellow, like a, just like a you miniature cowslip. Like, I'm not thinking what it's called. It's not a, you know, feverfew. Mm. There's a and weed that's like feverfew that grows about that high. I'm surprised it's out in flower the, yet. The leaves, Do you know the one I mean? It's got mm, a... It's got a not ringing a bell, but go, go, go on, tell, you're going to say something else, will you? Yeah. Tops of the leaves have some of them are split like a trefid top to them, where they're split into three. The tops of the leaves. Um, I wonder if it's oxalis or something. It was a little yellow oxalis. Now it, it's, it's a bit of a leaves are slightly ah, purple colour. And, and they, no, you get those on the sides pure, of the roads. Pure, pure sap green. I've never seen it anywhere, and I've had, um, I've been in churchyards and gardens right. all my life. But the the seed pod is like a miniature pea pod. And oh, so it it's a legume. seeds everywhere, but it is a perennial, and it's already flowering only legume. three weeks yeah. after the leaves have come mm, out, yeah. and it flowers. Well, well, how, does, how does the pea right pod open? till December. Does, does, the, does, the pod, does the pod open so it splits no, and it curls? Or? No, what happens is it looks like a miniature, fresh, young, green pea pod, yeah. and then they seem to disappear. They never ripen on the plant. They disappear... But somehow it sells seeds prolifically everywhere at the base of dry places, which is well, very. I'm, I'm not, it sounds a little bit like it could be an oxalis, uh, which is the. Um, that has the same. But, sh- does that have the same shape, uh, seed head? But it has. But it has it's but was, not it's, quite it's like a, that. It's a it? capsule, a long thin capsule rather than a. It's a, not a like a pea, is it? It's more capsules. Yeah, yeah uh, but I think that the best <clears> thing we could really say is you say you don't use in it, a piece yeah, of it. Yeah, if you compress a bit of it. And just send it in. Um, Put and, it in uh, between two pieces of ki- damp, not wet, damp kitchen paper. Okay. In a polythene bag, 
But see that the kitchen paper has got the plant in the middle. Flower and leaf. Pop it in an envelope and send it along to us at BBCS. Put Ken Crowther on it and it'll get to me and we can have a look at it. Okay. That'd be the best thing because it's, it's, the, the problem is, I know you've gone to really great lengths to describe it, but unfortunately it's like all these things. The picture which arises in my head isn't the same as the one that arises in Ken's head. Okay. It's probably right. anything like what you've described, <laughs> unfortunately. So. Okay. But you think it might be one of two... I think it could be oxalis, but I mean that's just because that's something I, I do encounter mm. sometimes. It often comes in on nursery stock because it, it, it tends to infest well, glass houses. I, I never buy in plants. It's no, but birds, no, mm. birds and animals bring them in. So mm. have a look at that and see whether you can find that. And uh, okay. if not, and send it in anyway, and we'll have okay. a look for you. Thank you so much for your help. That's a pleasure. No problem at all, Sarah from Buckers Hill. Uh, and we go to, I promise, Don from Radlett. Thank you very much, Watford in Hertfordshire, across the border there. You've got a question, uh, you've got a suggestion, haven't you? Yes, I have. Um, <clears throat> to do with uh, getting stumps out. Yep. Um, the worst thing you can do is cut it down to ground level. I agree. What you need to do is leave as much of the uh, trunk uh, standing as you can because it gives you huge leverage mm. when, you, when you cut through the roots. Uh, and it's quite surprising how how much leverage you can get. Mm. If, um, if you're aiming to dig that out, it's, it's ideal. I mean, I think the thing before was that the, uh, the, the lady that phoned in was in her 70s, and so was her husband, I think. So right. that, that wouldn't have been something that was the problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in my 70s, and I, I, I take uh, stumps out. Good for um, you. Yeah, yeah, Don, well, yeah. keep, yeah. keep healthy, keep, <laughs> you're keeping good condition. You, know, you, get, uh, you dig all the way around, cut mm. through what you can, and, um, I mean, I've done it on quite big trees uh, uh, to the extent that um, you know leave 10 foot on and you put a rope around the top and you pull away and it's absolutely amazing the mm -hmm. force you can get on it mm. absolutely yeah. i mean like, like we did say there's, there's other ways it can be done to been, uh, yeah. been grinding stump out i mean it's, it it just depends really upon the uh, if you feel energetic enough to do that, I mean, certainly, as I, I made the comment before, my students uh, all find out what it's like to dig out a stump because they all get to do it at some point yeah, in some is, uh, it's work. hard work. It mm. is, yeah. I mean, you can also you can you can use winches and winch them out as long as you. Yeah, get, yeah, uh, I, I, yeah. I had a neighbour who appeared with a winch uh, when he was taking one tree out, and mm. uh, it was just tremendous. He just yeah. winched away, and yeah, that's fantastic. Came. But mm. I really appreciate you calling in on that right. because it's just a reminder for mm. other people that there are other ways of doing it. And even like yourself, Don, a man in his 70s, keeping active, that's what I like to hear. Absolutely. And yeah. um, I'm sure you'll go on for years and years because it's all about keeping active, isn't it, Don? It is, absolutely. Ken Crowther, answering your gardening questions. This is BBC Essex. Right, let's go and talk orchids with Jane from Brentwood. Hello, Jane. Oh, hello, Ken. <clears throat> yes, I've got um, an orchid, one of the um, thick-stemmed ones, which grows the flowers right up the stem. Like a pansy flower? Sort of, yes, but mm. they're multi... It's, but they're, I think they're always white, and mm. the flowers go, grow right up the stem. It's about... 18 inches, 12, yep. 14... Yep. Yeah. Sounds like yeah. yeah. Right. Now, all the flowers have gone, but I've now got two shoots coming up, which are obviously going to take over mm -hmm. from the main one. But what do I do about that main thick stem? Is that obsolete? Do I cut that off? Well, you don't want to cut it um, too low down. Cut it below the, um, the point where the... the 
the first flower on the stem, the, the bottom flowers, just cut it there uh, in the first instance because the, uh, if you cut it out too far back, actually, you, you can damage the plant. So right. just take, take that off in the first instance. You'll, you'll find it'll start to die off and go very woody anyway. Oh, and, so that um, one is finished. That, doesn't they, that, flower one, that again. They won't flower again from that top bit, yeah. Sometimes you can get a, a shoot out from below that, uh, which from new growth will come. So uh, it's just best to just take off the minimum off them. Okay. Oh, that's fine. That's all I wanted to know. I thought, I don't know. I've never had one of these before. I've just had the ordinary but, orchid. I would say about 90% of success with orchids is just finding exactly where they want to grow. And, and, they, and they, nearly, they do it all for you then, yeah. And they're nearly ignoring them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Okay, that's fine. Thank you for your help. That's a pleasure. That's what we're here for. 0300 200 4041. That's the number to call. And... Um, we had a question, if I can find it. Um, runner beans. <clears throat> uh, this is, he doesn't, say, he doesn't say who he is. I wonder why. Uh, morning, Ken. I put my runner beans in two weeks ago on my windowsill. They are already five inches high, which they would be. Mm-hmm. When can I put them out? <laughs> You're going to be on the windowsill for quite some time yet because they don't really go out until about um, mid to late May. Yeah, they, they aren't hardy. They're, they're, um, they're, they're from, uh, I think, I'm right, South from America. Mexico or South America. South, yeah, yeah South America. So, but they're certainly tropical in their, um, their, their origin. So well, they're hard enough to grow outside here only in the summer months. Um, and the trick really is uh, not sowing them too early. It's a bit like if you sow pumpkins this time of the year. Uh, you've got a, a job on your hand because the rate of growth on them is enormous. And so we tend to sow a lot of things like ground runner beans wouldn't be sown really until about um, mid-April, about the time I'd, I would normally think about um, sowing those and pumpkins and things, things which are going to take up a lot of space and grow very rapidly. Because, and the reason I say this isn't because I'm sort of thinking, oh, I'll save myself a job. If you um, keep them indoors, you're restricting the growth effectively of what we're going to put on. And as soon as they get a restriction on the growth, it, it damages the plant into the rest of the growing season. It will never quite perform. It, it just needs to keep that acceleration of growth up. So um, you, you might well be lucky, but you need to pot them on. You need to, to, to grow them on uh, if you've got a, a glass house. I suppose the only thing. thing you could do is they're not expensive seed. No. Buy some more. Take a chance on those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the middle of April. Yeah. And grow some more anyway. You could, yeah. I mean, if we get a very mild and spring, you, they'll survive. Yeah. They'll survive, because people do do that. I mean, yeah. it's like the man with his potatoes. If yeah. we have a mild spring, he's on a winner. He's going to get some lovely early potatoes, Absolutely. isn't he? I mean, there's, there's always that chance. I mean, there's, it's, I think a few weeks ago, as I was talking about um, sweet peas, and I say my trick is always when I plant the sweet pea, I put another seed of the same variety into the ground next to it so that we get an extended flowering season. And effectively, what you can That's do right, is yeah. if, you, if you put two sowings of them, you can put them on the same trellis or the same fence, you actually will get an extended season for your uh, beans. If you're lucky, you'll get some early ones. And if not, you've got a guaranteed crop a bit later. So Now, Jenny from Nazing said, the plant Sarah from Buckhurst Hill has, was describing could be Corydalus? Corydalus? Corydalus. Corydalus lutea? Yeah, the, the, the flowers on that are very distinctive, though. They're almost like a, they're a long flower with a little spur on them. So they're not like uh, a, she said they were like um like a she said like um a, a cowslip cowslip which is a, what we call a salvaform flower. It's got a nice it? flat open front to it and then a yeah. tube at the back. So I'll tell you what though, it's interesting, isn't it? Mm. We really have set up a bit of a a bit of um a bit of a, a bit of a thinker there for people to think about, Indeed. haven't we? <laughs> on the phones, Madeline in Wickford, you've got a plant for us, have you, Madeline? 
Um, well, Ken, last weekend you queried um, a plant and your um, presenter with you said that he would go and get one. You didn't yep. know it fully. Oh, this is... Yes. I couldn't take it down quick enough. It was like a peony-type flower. Sanocalicanthus. Yeah, can can you give me some spelling on that? Yes, S-I-N-O-C-A-L-Y-C-A-N-T-H-U-S. And it's the one that we were particularly looking at. Did we know which one it was? Mick, you and I were talking about them earlier, weren't we? No, yes, that one, Sinocalicanthus, I don't know well, but certainly one we've been growing at the college. It's bigger, isn't it? We've got one which goes to about three metres. Now, this is uh, one called Calicanthus. Oh, right. Calicanthus sinensis, which has got a great big white um, magnolia-like flower on it. And um, that's... That it's obviously in the same group as Sinocalicanthus, yeah. obviously. But this one has got... It's, we've got a picture of it. It's a lovely small like shrub. A, yeah, like a plum-shaped flower. Yeah, a plum-coloured plum, flower. Plum-coloured flower. Yeah. looks very, very attractive. And, in mm. fact, uh, I think several of the listeners, Brian Wickenden, I know, commented that it flowers from early summer right through to the autumn, yeah. didn't he? Well, Ken, I went to the uh, nursery with the pansy. Um, yep, Viola, oh. yep. Um, unfortunately, the owner wasn't there, and the girls um, said they would they'll contact me, but they haven't come back to me. Bad lads, Meadowcroft, yes. Um, they <laughs> Now, one of the listeners said that they'd gone back there. The guy who bought it said he'd gone back there and they hadn't got any more. <laughs> OK. Yeah, this is a are, you, are you a web person? No, I didn't have um, the name. Uh, I only took it down roughly, so I didn't have enough. Ah, so you've got it now, so you can now sort of... Get you get going on the old phone and have a ring round, eh? Yeah, all right. And if if anybody listening from any garden centre where you, you're from Wickford, but if you're any garden centre that knows that they have uh, Sinocalicanthus yeah. in stock, give us a call, and I tell you what, we'll mention it on air. Yeah. All yeah. right. It how about like, that, Madeline? Yeah, thank you, Ken. It sounds like the sort of plant you should have expialidocious after, doesn't it? Really? It does, doesn't it? <laughs> Let's get to Tony and Leon C. What you got for us, Tony? Hello, morning. Hello. Um, I have an outdoor yucca plant. Well, yep. I say I have. I had. Um, up to last week, I was about to call you last week, but something happened, I couldn't do it. So it was upright last week. With high winds, it's blown over. Okay. Snapped. The, the actual trunk is hollow, completely hollow. Uh-huh. Uh, but the top, I mean, it's about four to five foot high in a half barrel it's been there 18 years um i'm probably expecting too much but could i replant the top because the leaves are lovely on the top they're very strong okay if it's solid if it's solid up at the top there is a possibility i mean certainly when we used to uh, get these sent in for propagation years ago they used to come in with um just a section of the trunk which is called a t T ti and um that used to have and I can't remember now. I think it was um, red wax at the top, black wax at the bottom. I may have sort of misremembered that over time. But it used to be different colour wax on each end, so you knew which to scrape off to um, to actually get them into growth. I think it might have been the red wax at the bottom, actually, now I think about right. it. Right. And um, so you scrape that off the bottom, put them into compost, and it would start to grow, and it's the side shoots that grow. If you can find yeah. a section of solid trunk on it which hasn't rotted through, you can take that section, you can grow it. You literally just put it onto a warm windowsill in a really 
gritty compost and um, right. hopefully it will root. You just, so so, so di- bright light but not direct sunshine. So ideally something like a, an east or a north-facing window is, is, is probably just about enough for it, as long as it stays but warm. Basically, I'm bringing it in to get it rooted. Well, but you'd have to look yeah. and see if any it of the stem was warmth, solid. Yeah. Because the problem with trying to put the whole top <coughs> in there is all that foliage is going to be taking moisture. So you can strip some of the leaves off there if you've yeah. got a solid bit. Put that into some, okay. again, in some free-draining compost, and you may have some luck with that. Then there's no absolutes in this. Is that the quality yeah. of the plant material dictates how successful you know any propagation attempts will be. And let us know how you get on, Tony. Can you? What kind of compost would I put it into? You said gritty, but what? Yeah, well, I mean, say gritty. Well, you only get some extra grit, so you can buy horticultural grit usually in small bags from a garden centre, and then right. get yourself some um, seed and cutting compost, or you can use perlite if you don't want to. If, if you don't want to lug a bag of grit round, which is quite heavy, get yourself a small <laughs> bag of perlite, which you can sort of throw up in the air, you know, really easy, very very light, or vermiculite <laughs> will do the same, and mix yeah. that to about at least a third, maybe even fifty percent into there, so it drains really freely. You want it to be moist but free draining, get plenty of air okay. around it. And when you put the section of stem in there, make sure you've got it the right way up or it That's will important. not root. No. It, it's really important. So put, you get a, a marker pen and put an arrow pointing so up So you on know it, which it, way it, it was when it was growing successfully. Yeah. Let us know, Tony, how you get on. And we're going to go to Valerie in Chumpsford. Hello, Valerie. Hello there. What you got for us today? Rhododendrons, is it we're talking? Yeah, it's a rhododendron. Um, over the winter, the leaves have curled up. Yeah. Um, it looks a bit like peach curl, really. This is um, in the garden, or in the garden, or in a container. In a garden. Okay. Yeah. Has and it? Has it remained you know, curled up, or is it just curled? Is it, is it remained curled up? Have we just curled up while it's been cold? Uh, no, it's, it's still curled up now. Right now, has the have the stems shriveled? No, I don't think they have. Because um, rhododendron leaves tend to curl as a response to cold. Um, if it's been very dry as well, rhododendrons like it to be really moist and they yeah, get the very I mean, surface rooted. I'm just wondering whether I watered it enough last year. Um, it's it's hard to say exactly. I mean, I don't want to make any judgments on your ability as a as a gardener. <laughs> like that, you know, so, um, but they, they they are a tricky thing to grow down in the south of England. It's a bit too warm for them, really, in, in Essex in the summer, and a bit too dry for them. You have to give them plenty of mulching on the surface. Don't do any gardening around the bottom on them. No, they don't I haven't like done that. It, I have know. given them um, food. food. Yeah, but I mean, there's mulch. It's, the mulch is there to protect the roots, keep the roots cool. Uh, it's yeah. plenty of organic matter on. Now, the what you've got to look for if you've got flower buds on it, go and have a look at the flower buds. If they seem to be covered in lots and lots of little tiny yeah. black pins all over them, you might have something called bud blast, which oh, is quite right. a common disease down here on rhododendrons. It's it, quite common on rhododendrons anyway. Yeah, but um, that's something which it might be suffering from. But I would look if, if the um, if the leaves are curly, look for things like, say, for instance, if there's a slight yellow mottling around the veins, it could be that the, uh, the soil isn't quite acidic enough for them. If yeah, they are you are thinking it's an um, uh, acid feed? If the stems are looking a little bit pale or starting to shrivel in a little bit again, that could be something, a root problem, and it could be phytopter. There are um, root diseases. Root diseases as well. Uh, sudden oh, okay. oak, sudden oak death doesn't kill... Years, so. yeah, there's one called sudden oak death, phytopter remorum, which tends to affect rhododendrons worse than it affects um, oak. It's the only one thing. I've got. I've got three, but it's the only one that's affecting. It could be a root problem then, but yeah. you've got to eliminate all the possible causes, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. Yeah, right, thank you for your help. No Give problem. it a go, Valerie, and let us know how you get on. We'd like to hear results. Now, I did promise, and I want to actually do this one. Um, it's from Bob, and Bob says, 
Uh, do you have any handy hints or tips about obliterating Japanese knotweed, which will soon be in my garden as it's approaching from a railway in <clears throat> embankment? Uh, the train company deny responsibility. Well, that's, we're not going to go there on that one. How do they deal with it in Japan? Well, actually, it was brought back as an interesting plant mm. to this country. Um, like we do with so many plants, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we actually think it's a hybrid of two populations of that plant that were brought back separately. And, when, when and they they've hybridized, actually hybridised and ended yeah. up with this vigorous one, yeah. haven't we? I mean, <clears throat> not, whether it's a train company, whether it's a neighbour, it's a general consideration. If you have na Japanese knotweed on your land, you may not contaminate anybody else's land with it. So if you've got it in your garden you don't creeping it next towards, door, do you? Uh, towards a fence, if you it gets into your neighbour's garden you are the perpetrator of the nuisance right and so but unfortunately that gets into the territory of lawyers but that is the straightforward and best answer i can give you on that now i'm going to give you a good answer here because this is a, a nice note from brian in thorpe bay ken about two years ago i text you to ask advice about clearing japanese knotweed <laughs> from my daughter's patio in crouch end you suggested that i cut off the leaf but leave some of the stem. Pour, it says, it says weed killer into the stems, but I would have mm. mentioned glyphosate because yes. that's the yeah. one that we have to use on this. I'm at the flat today decorating and just check the patio, which is totally clear of knotweed. Well, and it well would done. be yeah. showing. Yeah. It would be showing by now. And that's from Brian in Thorpe Bay. Now, this is one of the methods that you do, and that is you cut them off, they're hollow stemmed, mm. and you actually just drop glyphosate in. You've got to be careful with glyphosate because it will harm any green parts, won't mm, it? Yes. But not weed, you know, is a pig to get rid of. It is. But you I have mean, to the, keep going with it, don't the, you? They actually, <clears throat> um, commercially, they use an injection system into the stems, which is exactly it's, it's that. It's exactly the same system. What, one little caveat I would say is if you're cutting off the top growth off the, uh, the knotweed, sometimes it can root even from little pieces of stem. Oh, take, yeah. So take it off, gather it all up, burn it dry it off and burn dry it. it off and burn get it. rid of it because he, even quite dry bits of stem can sometimes root right it's a it's a horrible plant if you need to get rid of it so they are that's uh, that's how to get rid of knotweed which of course is quite important well it is in my book and that is an interesting one because brian has answered and that is what gardening here on bbc essex is about absolutely it's about people coming back to us and giving us a further advice on how it things worked for them so right, they right, are. Yeah. That's what it's about. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour. This is BBC Essex. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. And if you missed any of the gardening advice, tips and events, you can download this programme and take it with you wherever you go. Just visit the BBC Essex website, bbc.co.uk slash BBC Essex. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour, every Saturday from 11. BBC Essex.